0: Well, this morning's reading is Mark 14, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through to 11, verses 1 through to 11, Mark chapter 14, page 1019 in the Church Bibles. Let's hear God's word. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. In memory of her then Judas Iscariot one of the twelve went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over and may the Lord bless the reading of his word
1: if you've closed your Bibles from earlier, you probably have open them up again we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 14 verse 1 to 11 and as we find our place in that I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus thank you that as we've just sung his is a beautiful name his is one that brings us joy and peace and gives us all that we have and enjoy every spiritual blessing we have comes through the Lord Jesus and so we pray now as we read more of him We would see more of him. We would appreciate him more. We would see just how wonderful he is and that that would cause us to worship you all the more. In his name we pray. Amen. Well I wonder how much Jesus is worth to you. How much he's worth to you. If you had to put a value on him. Now I know that's a hard thing to do. It's a bit like sort of saying how much would you pay for your mum. You think well hopefully she's not for sale. And uh, even to put a number on it seems to cheapen her a little bit. But just go with this for a moment. How much is Jesus worth to you? Would you say that he is worth a lot? Would you say, well, worth a bit, I suppose? Is he somebody you value highly? Someone worth spending time and energy and money on? Or somebody who only deserves really the dregs, the loose change, an occasional thought How highly we value Jesus, I think, is the the question of the day in the passage we've just been looking at. And in that bit of the Bible, we see two radically different estimates of his value. One lot who think he is worthless and another who thinks he is priceless. One person's trash is another person's treasure. And we we see that here. There are some people uh, in this uh, encounter who reckon Jesus might be worth a few bob just to get rid of him. Whereas another person recognises his true value. And these stories, uh, these two sort of estimates, if you like, are put side by side by the Gospel writer to to challenge us about our valuation of Jesus. What do we think of him? What do we make of him? And if you looked at our lives, could you tell? And and Mark does that by uh, using a sort of sandwich uh, thing. I don't know if that's what they were eating in this meal they're talking about but he uses this sandwich structure because if you look at the passage if you wanted to you could read verse 1 and 2 and then skip straight over to verse 10 and that would all make sense all about the betrayal of Jesus but sandwiched in the middle is this story of a woman who loves Jesus absolutely loves him and, and some suggested that this event actually happened earlier but Mark is telling us about it here to bring out the context. Kind of like a rose between two thorns, if you like. We get the, the ugly rejection of Jesus either side. And in the middle, we get this beautiful devotion to him. So we're going to start with the negative, the ugly rejection. <laughs> ugly rejection. I've called it part one because we're going to come to the second bit later on. But we see the ugly rejection of Jesus... By the religious leaders. So if you see verse 1, it sets the scene. We're told it's only two days away from one of the biggest events in the Jewish calendar. It's the Passover, when they celebrated when God rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And that was going to kick off the week long festival of unleavened prayers. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, they would have had a lot of things to get ready for that, whether that is things they need to teach, whether that is the sacrifices to get ready, just the sheer admin of that many people coming in, but see what they're busy with instead. Now the Passover and Festival of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. That is their priority getting rid of Jesus. Now right from the start of Mark's gospel they've been clashing with him, they're jealous of his popularity, they don't like his message because he he sees through all of their religiosity and he shows them up, he shows them up as hypocrites. He demands the sort of allegiance that only God deserves and so they've had enough of it. This is like sort of Vladimir Putin having his political opponents bumped off, as seems to have happened on Friday. Jesus opposes them, and so he's got to go. We're coming back to Mark's Gospel. We've been looking at this over the last two years, really. Come and look at a chunk, have a bit of look at something else, come back to it. And this is the last time we're coming to it, as we sort of see the final stretch that will lead us up to Easter These are the final days before Jesus is ultimately rejected, being killed on a cross. But the leaders don't want it to happen too quickly. You see, they say, not during the festival. Not during the festival. Not because, you know, well, we're already very, very busy or or because this is a very holy time. This is a time for fully focusing on God. No, they don't want it during the festival because they're worried the people may riot. They're just scared of popular opinion. Because the crowds, for the most part, love Jesus. Well, they like him certainly more than they like the leaders. And during the festival, Jerusalem would be jam-packed with worshippers. The normal population, maybe about 50,000 people. It could go up to 250,000 people during Passover. All those people coming to, to make their sacrifices. If, if Jesus gets arrested with that many people around, well, things could get really ugly. So let, let's wait for all the crowds to go home. And then we can do it in secret. But how are they going to do it? How are they going to do it? They need to know Jesus' movements in advance. They need some kind of a tip-off about a time, about a place when he'd be out in public, not surrounded by the public. That happens so rarely. They were going to need an insider to pass them information. But they don't have that, so they just go on scheming. They are committed to silencing him, to shutting him up, to pushing him away, putting a stop to all of Jesus' nonsense. Now obviously their their rejection of Jesus was unique, wasn't it? Nobody today could have Jesus arrested even if they wanted to. But we're being told about this not just because that's what happened but as a warning to us about our reaction to Jesus. We're not plotting his demise but are we rejecting him? When he comes and claims to be Lord as we were just singing, do we accept him as Lord? Do we treat him as Lord or do we try to get rid of him and his claims bumping him off to the sidelines? These two reactions to Jesus we see in this passage are are really the only two options. Indifference is not an option. Indifference is rejection. See, for all of their faults, the chief priests at least were listening to Jesus, and they took what he said seriously. And if what he says is true, then he either needs to be accepted as Lord or completely rejected. So they scheme. They're going to arrest him. They're going to kill him as part of their ugly rejection of him. But then the scene changes very suddenly in verse 3. The camera sort of zooms out from the temple up into the hills of Jerusalem to the the village of Bethany, about two miles out of town. And ever since Jesus arrived in the city, um, he's been staying out in Bethany and sort of making day trips in and out of the capital. So last chunk of Mark that we did, that was him first arriving. And all of that time he's been popping in, coming back out, coming back in and here this is the time when he was out there in Bethany and he's at the house of Simon the leper, presumably an ex-leper otherwise he wouldn't be hosting dinner parties, he would have been sent away unclean, this is probably somebody Jesus has healed and now he's invited Jesus in along with the disciples to enjoy a meal and while he's there something amazing happens, an act of beautiful devotion. Beautiful devotion to do the absolute opposite of what the leaders are doing. See verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now to our modern ears, that is a bit strange, isn't it? Have you ever had that happen to you or ever seen anybody do that, it would have been uh, quite a weird thing in some senses back then, but but not for the same reasons it's weird for us. First of all, this is a woman just bursting in and demanding attention, if you like. In that culture, a woman would only be allowed to interrupt the meal if she was bringing more food. But in she comes, and she is not exactly a wallflower, is she? she? She comes in, and she is this extravagant gesture of devotion to Jesus. She gets this perfume, and pours it on him the other gospels say that she put it on his feet as well wipes with her hair this is sort of head to toe but mark here focuses on jesus's head i think because he's saying look, she's anointing him she's anointing him chapter one verse one this whole book has been about the good news about jesus the messiah that's the anointed one the king chosen by god anointed for his role as ruler and rescuer of God's people. And as we get to the end, Jesus is anointed. This is a woman who is recognising Jesus for who he is. She's demonstrating that with complete devotion to him. She doesn't just sort of pour out a little bit, you know, a little, little splash of aftershave maybe. She breaks the jar and tips out its entire contents. John tells us it was half a litre. That is a hundred times bigger than the average bottle of perfume today. And we're told it was very expensive, made of nard. Uh, I, don't, I didn't know very much about nard previously. Apparently it's from a, a root that grows only in the Himalayas. So maybe when uh, when Pete Turnbull goes to the Himalayas later in the year, he can pick up some nard for us. But this is not a sort of knock-off spray from a market stall, is it? This is... The kind of thing that would have been a family heirloom. This is unbelievably expensive and she gives it all to Jesus. I wonder what you make of that. Bit, bit weird? bit of a waste? The other people at the meal thought it was outrageous. Have a look at verse 4 and 5. Some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. Have they got a point? Just imagine for a moment somebody saving everything they earned for a year and then spending that on perfume and then getting that perfume and tipping the whole thing out in one go. That seems like a waste doesn't it? The average full time salary in the UK today, £34,963. You could do a lot with that, can't you? Nearly thirty-five pounds Put down a deposit on a house, not to mention giving it to charity, giving it to somebody in debt, supporting mission work. But no, she just pours it away. And so they are indignant. That is a really strong word. They're frustrated, they're furious, they're disgusted like when uh, Kim Kardashian spent $750,000 on gold-plated toilets. And you think, what an obscene waste of money. Surely Jesus would rather she had given it to the poor, wouldn't he? Well, apparently not. (laughs) Because have a look in verse 6. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing. Jesus jumps to her defense he says this is not a waste it's beautiful he's moved by it by just how beautiful it is this sacrificial gift of love that is something that Jesus appreciates sometimes we can think of Jesus perhaps as hard to please or we think of God as somebody maybe grumpy and critical and uh, not very impressed but that's his disciples isn't it that's what they are like This wasn't done for them, so it doesn't really matter what they think of it. It was done for Jesus, and he welcomes it. He thinks it is beautiful, and so he throws back at them, if you like, how much it is none of their business, in verse 7. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. If you are that concerned about how she should have spent her money, I look forward to seeing how generous you are going to be. Sometimes people use verse 7 as an excuse to not help the poor. So saying, you know, you will always have poor people, so there's no way to fix that, don't bother. That's not what Jesus is saying. Caring for those in need is a good thing to do. Just because it's not priority number one doesn't mean it doesn't matter. So today it might be part of how we show our love for Jesus. Back then what Jesus is saying is, look, in a few days' time I am going to be dead there is a unique window of opportunity for this sort of gift. And so she did what she could while she could. In fact, Jesus links it to his death, doesn't he? He says, She's getting me ready for my death. In verse 8, it so, says, She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Now, before a Jewish funeral, the, the corpse would be washed and wrapped and anointed with oils and spices before being buried and you might remember when Jesus died he was buried in a hurry so there was no time for any of that if you just flick ahead a page or so chapter 16 verse 1 on on Easter morning what is it the women are going to the tomb to do well they're going with spices so they might go to anoint Jesus body and they didn't get the chance to did they (laughs) Because he'd already risen to life. And they didn't need to because apparently, according to Jesus, this woman had already done it. What she was doing here was this beautiful act of devotion, of loyalty and service, the sort of thing family members might do when a loved one dies. Being able to say, I just wish I could do something, one last gesture of love. So if we're wondering how should I respond to Jesus? I think Jesus would point to this woman and say, look, love me like that. Love me like she does. Every now and then we're, we're given in Mark's gospel, we, little glimpses of the right response to him. Every now and again, somebody gets it and they get pointed out to say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's the sort of response I'm looking for. And to make that point, Jesus says what she's done here should never be forgotten. Have a look in verse 9. He says, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is her legacy, if you like. This story of love for Jesus. And to prove it, here we are in 2024 reading about it. Learning from her example of beautiful devotion. She is somebody worth copying, worth emulating. There's a lot of talk uh, nowadays, isn't there, about beauty standards, what women should aspire to. Well, I think here women and men should aspire to be beautiful in this way. This is what real beauty looks like complete commitment to Christ. Will that be our legacy? Will that be the story that's told if anybody bothered to tell our story in the future? Would it be one of devotion to Jesus? When people criticise her, they're really criticising Jesus, aren't they? They're saying, what a waste. Why would you give that to him? He's not worth that bit like imagine uh, imagine somebody got you a valentine's day present last week and and as it's handed over to you somebody walks past and looks at the present looks at you and says what a waste of money what a waste you'd be quite offended wouldn't you i imagine you would deserve that how much worse is it when they're saying what a waste about this gift for jesus R.C. Sprawl put it like this, if anybody had any idea who was being anointed and why they were being anointed and had any sense of value whatsoever, the only question they would raise is why was this woman's gift so small? Jesus deserves far more than this expensive present. He is God. He is the King who's come to die for us. He's come to save the world. And even that is is just buried in this story. It's a little throwaway line in verse 9, when he just happens to mention wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world. Jesus is envisaging a future where news about him is going to be proclaimed around the earth. This man, this one who is hated by the authorities and honoured by scandalous people, sat in this little village just a handful of other people he looks ahead and says no one day these sorts of stories about me will be told everywhere this is who we're dealing with when we're dealing with Jesus he will be proclaimed as Lord and Savior everywhere on earth so we're not talking about an ordinary person so of course he deserves extraordinary devotion and this woman is extravagant isn't she she's unrestrained she is over the top and Jesus looks at that and says, beautiful, that is beautiful, that is exactly right. And then in stark contrast, we're suddenly brought back from verse 10 to the hideousness of being his enemy, the ugly rejection, part two. And it's even uglier here in verse 10 and 11, isn't it? Because it's not coming from outsiders anymore, it's, it's coming from Jesus' closest friends verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. He's one of the twelve. We're quite familiar with this probably. We, we miss the shock of it that one of Jesus' hand-picked inner circle turns on him, that one of his closest friends stabs him in the back, sides with the people who want him dead, there they are. They're, they're trying to figure out how on earth are we going to get our hands on Jesus. They want some insider information about his whereabouts so they can do it properly. And Judas says, I can give you that. I can lead you to where he's going to be. I can identify him to you as the target in case there are any soldiers there who don't know what he looks like. Which is exactly what he does later in the chapter. He gives Jesus a kiss on the cheek to, to, to signpost to everybody, this is the one I'm talking about slap in the face isn't it it is such an act of treachery ugly rejection jesus says that the the woman for her devotion is never going to be forgotten well neither is judas is he if you look up his name in the dictionary it is a byword isn't it for betrayal you are a judas instead of the honor this woman is going to get we're told in verse 21 it would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, this has been a long time coming. Back in chapter 3, when Jesus first appointed the 12, uh, we're told anyway, as the readers, last of the list is Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This has been a long time building up. Why does he do it now? Why now, after all this time? Well, he seems to become disillusioned, doesn't he, with Jesus? He's become I don't know, maybe the hopes that he had at first haven't been met. Perhaps he feels Jesus is going too far. Perhaps he feels Jesus hasn't gone far enough. Either way, he is absolutely done. He's not going to be following Jesus anymore. He's been doing it three years. That's long enough. And so he trades him in. And I think money was likely the main motivation. So John chapter 12 says it was Judas who was the most annoyed about this woman's waste of perfume. We're told it's because he was the treasurer and he had his hand in the till. He's been stealing from Jesus for ages. And so if Jesus is going around praising people for flushing their money down the toilet, how am I supposed to skim the profits off of that? This is stupid. This is the last straw. So he calls the chief priests. And we're told in verse 11, they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. It's money again. How much is Jesus worth? How much is Jesus worth? Is he worth all of that perfume? Is he worth 30 pieces of silver? Judas values Jesus very cheaply. Instead of giving everything to him, he sees what he can get for him. He just wants rid of him. And and, and I suppose if you've got some old junk and you think, well, I might as well stick it on eBay, on the off chance somebody wants it rather than just take it to the dump, he, he decides, oh, I'm going to cash out now. I'm going to see what I can get. And now he's completely aligned himself with the enemies. He was one of the 12 and now he's completely with them. We miss it, I think, in, in the English. But in verse 1, the leaders are literally seeking to a chance to, to, uh, to arrest him. And in verse 11, Judas is seeking a chance to betray him. They are doing the same thing now. They are in it together. Ugly rejection of Jesus can look different from person to person, but it's the same thing, isn't it? So what's the point of the story? Why are we told these things? I think, first and foremost, it is to challenge us and encourage us to give your all to Jesus. For us to give our all to him. That's the only right response. We're told this woman is our model, isn't she? No thought to the cost. She gladly gives him what is most precious to her. And that's a challenge to us. Will we give him our all? Will we trust him completely? Will we serve him wholeheartedly? Will we give him all of our time and all of our energy and even all of our money? We mustn't think, well, I don't really have anything worth giving. Just remember, a couple of chapter before this, Jesus praised that poor widow when she donated two small copper coins. So this isn't just like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, a large sum of money, but the poor widow with her two coins. No, she could do with taking a lesson. No, they're both giving their all, aren't they? And Jesus sees our hearts. He knows our motivation. He knows the value that we put on him, and he honors that. He says of this lady here she did what she could and i think that's really freeing she did what she could dick lucas said about this we are required to do what we can not what we can't if we have gifts we need to use those to serve him if we have finances we need to use them to serve him if we have anything We need to use it to serve them. She did what she could with the opportunity she had. And we also need to give our all to Jesus. She could have been put off, couldn't she, about the reaction she was going to get from other people. Too extravagant, too much. Well, Jesus stands up for people like that and says, leave them alone. Leave them alone. They've done a beautiful thing. If somebody might look at our lives and think, what a waste. What a terrible waste. Why do they spend so much time on God? Why do they read their Bibles? Why do they pray? They could just relax in the evening. Instead, they go out and help at Kids Zone. What a waste. Church on a Sunday, what a waste of a weekend. They could have a lion. Don't they know what everybody else is doing? They could spend an awful lot more time with family but for some reason they prioritize jesus if these christians weren't so generous they could go on much nicer holidays but instead they just pour their money away they just help people and they support mission work and they they think about all the good that could be done if you give it to charity but instead they're going to give it to church what a waste do you hear those sorts of lies You ever say those kinds of things to yourself? That is Judas' way of thinking. Counting the cost so much that we will betray him for an easier life. No matter what anybody says, worship is never a waste. Serving him is not a waste of your talents or of your time. Obeying him is not a waste of your life. Not doing that is what is a waste. Jesus says to him, to us that that sort of thing is beautiful. So will we give him our all? Will we give him our time and our talents and our money and our homes and our hearts? Will we not just agree with Jesus but cherish him? We see him for who he is and do the only sensible thing of giving him our all. The words of the cricketer and missionary ct stud if jesus christ is god and died for me no sacrifice could be too great for me to make for him and that's the last thing i want us to remember that jesus gave his all for you for me if what we learn from this story is that devotion is beautiful then no one is more beautiful than jesus The very next incident we're going to look at next week is another meal table, much like the one we've got here, where like the woman and her jar of perfume, Jesus talks about breaking his body and pouring out his blood, giving his all for us on the cross. He's showing his complete devotion to us. He holds nothing back. The world might look at Jesus dying on a cross and say, oh, what a waste, what a shame, but when we understand who he is and what he's done, we say, no, that he has done a beautiful thing. We don't deserve it. That is too generous a gift. It's far too lavish. But that is how much he loves us in his grace, how highly he values us, even though we are poor and weak and sinful. <coughs> we will never dare to love him the way we should until we know that he loves us like this. Let me read some words from an old hymn. I, was, um, I go through old hymn books every now and again. I say every now and again every day. I go through old hymn books and uh, there's lots of great things in there. Let me, let me read these words. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty one bowed down with care God gave his son to win His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from their sin. Now I love this bit, just picture this. He says, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill, every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. There is no way for us to fully exhaust talking about just how completely the Lord loves us. He is completely devoted to us. And as we stand before a love like that, so we remember that in just a moment, how much is Jesus worth to you? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you for the Lord Jesus. We want to thank you for the completely undeserved love and devotion that he has shown us. We want to thank you for his self-giving, dying love. We pray that you would help us to know this more and to love you in return. We pray that we would live Lives of love for Jesus, just like this woman did. Father, we do not want to reject Jesus or betray Jesus. We want to be completely devoted to him. So we pray for your help to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.